Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Melanated Faith. We told you all we will be back and checking in with some special episodes to keep you company until we are back for season three. And today, yes, today, we have a really special episode um, we want to share with you. We're going to talk to one of the creators of Netflix's new movie, Jingle Jangle. And I am telling you, I love this movie. I want you to see it. Um, So we get to talk to Lynn Sisson-Talbert. We're super excited to talk to her. She's incredible and one of the co-writers and producers for the movie. And if you haven't watched it yet, please go watch it right now. Um, But if you are a rebel and you don't want to follow instructions, let me give you a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. Jeronica's Jangle, who is played by Forrest Whitaker, is a toy maker and an inventor, and he suffers a series of heartbreaks and setbacks until one day his granddaughter Journey, who's played by newcomer Madeline Mills, unexpectedly arrives and helps him recapture the magic. Yes, we're so excited. We love Jingle Jangle. Personally, feel like it's a new Christmas classic. So we're super excited to have Lynn with us today. Lynn, let me tell you a little bit about Lynn before we get started. She is one of the most accomplished female producers in Hollywood, having been the guiding force behind top grossing film, stage, and books. Sisson Talbert's film producing credits include Searchlight's Baggage Claim, Universal's Almost Christmas, which also coincidentally opened as the number one comedy in America, and Netflix's El Camino Christmas. She produced Netflix's first original live-action musical, Jingle Jangle, which is what we're talking about today. It was a 20-year passion project that she developed alongside of her husband, director, writer, David E. Talbert. Well, first of all, welcome, Lynn, to the Melanated Faith Podcast. Thank you for having me. And we have a question for you. Tell us where this idea for Jingle Jangle came from. And were you, when you were developing, did you realize that you were making a new Christmas classic? We believe it's the new Christmas classic. <laughs> Yay! Um, Well, my husband always wanted, David Talbert, who's the writer and director, always wanted to create a classic film that was in the genre of the films that we grew up with. Um, For him, it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That was like his favorite. Willy Wonka. For me, it's the era of Mary Poppins, Annie, you know, all the favorite musicals that we would watch as kids Um, and wanted to create something with people that look like us, you know, in this fantasy, fun world, magical world. Um, So originally it was going to be a Broadway production. That's how he had had written it for the stage. And as years had passed, um, he was trying to pull some things together. Certain things weren't quite right. Music, um, still working on the story, different things like that. And one day I said, why don't you just make it a movie? And from there, it just like, boom, everything just went because, you know, you're not stuck in that proscenium of stage. You could do whatever you want, you know, as long as you could figure out a way to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started he wrote the script as a film. And as we we're working on other projects, um, still going back wanting to sell that one, wanting to make it as a film. And people weren't really they couldn't see the vision. And also, I mean, it's something new as well, you know, because no one's ever done it on this scale. And I don't think that studios could see having a leading black cast this way. They, they couldn't visualize it, unfortunately. So 
um, after we had our son, he tried to show him Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And he's all, you know, we're going to watch my favorite movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And, you know, we're going to sing the songs. And, and so Elias was probably about four at the time and went in there and he starts watching it. And he's like, uh, can I go play with my Legos? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, mm. He's like, you don't like the movie? He does this thing with his hands, like, eh, you know, not really, you know. So David realized, you know, he has Miles Morales on his wall. He has Black Panther on his wall. He didn't see himself. So mm-hmm. then more important that to create something where he could see someone that looks like him. So we had done a project with Netflix um, with a friend of ours, Ted Melfi, who wrote Hidden Figures. And he, it was called El Camino Christmas. And he brought David in to direct it and me in to produce it. And that was kind of a, by a fluke. David ran into him at the elevator at Netflix and was like, hey, DT, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm having some meetings. What are you doing here? He's like, Ted was like, I got to go movie, but we just lost the director. He's like, what? Oh, my God. DT, you're going to direct this movie? And Lynn's going to produce it? And it's going to be great. I'm sending the script tonight. So <laughs> like literally weeks later, we were in production. And um, that was a great experience with Netflix. So because of that, they asked him to come back in and wanted to hear what ideas he had. And they said, you know, he said, what are you looking for? And they said, well, we're looking for a big idea. And he said, well, I have a big idea. And he told them about Jingle Jangle. And he said, you know, every year my family and I sit down to watch holiday films, but there's not anything that looks like us. And they said immediately, Scott Stuber, the president, and Nick Nesbitt, the executive, said, you're right. And we should do something about that. You know, and instantly they bought it in the room. And that was in 2017. They said to him, which you'd absolutely never hear, is do not write budget, write your imagination. So that was just like, oh, sky's the limit. And from there, here we are. Wow. That's incredible. That's awesome. Um, So you kind of talked a little bit about kind of where your inspiration came from. Um, I thought it was interesting that the film was set and it looks like the 1800s, similar to like a Dickens Christmas Carol classic. Um, But your imagination looks very different from Charles Dickens. Can you talk about all the African and African-American cultural influence in the film? And why was that important to include that? Absolutely. So I love, you know, Dickens. I love, you know, Oliver Twist. I love, you know, Christmas Carol, all of those. I read those as a kid. And it always was a world that, you know, you could you could transport yourself to. And at the same time, these amazing grounded stories were told Um, for us. We wanted something that it was representative of us. But it's a universal theme, but what you're seeing is grounded in cultural um, um, elements. So looking at, it starts off in the 1800s and goes all the way up to like the 1950s or so, right? So if you look at that starting in the 1800s, you're only one or two generations from where you came from. So any any rituals that you had, any any cultural influences, fabrics, hairstyles, these are things that your grandparents taught you or showed you or talked about. And so 
that's, you know, your grandparents most likely would still even be living and sharing these cultures with you and sharing these fabrics with you and saying the importance of them. So that was really important to me to layer that within this Dickensian style and where you could still have period piece, but it has pops of who we are and where we came from. So uh, we, I kind of coined this phrase Afro-Victorian because, <laughs> I you know, it. I really, yeah, it, I like it has those elements of Africa and also African-American culture. And at the same time, um, em- embracing and highlighting natural hairstyles. You know, I didn't want to do the typical wigs that you see and the curls on the side and the hats and all this kind of stuff. I wanted it to be where, you know, this was embraced and beautiful and normalized because I feel like that's one of the things that we all struggle with. You know, every all of us have had our hair journeys and with the way culturally things are, there's always like, oh, can you wear this hairstyle to work? Or that isn't corporate America or these kids can't wear certain styles of school. It's ridiculous to me, you know, but these are things that were passed down to us and and things that we've always used. So it was about highlighting the beauty of all of that and creating a normalcy and acceptance at the same time, having it be high fashion, gorgeous, beautiful to look at. I feel like any of that stuff, you'd wear any of those styles today, you'd wear any of the the clothing today because it's not only like great looking, but also speaks to you, you know? Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. I mean, it looks very lush and expensive and high end in this kind of whimsical world. And so I just, yeah, I appreciate the effort that you, extra effort to bring in all of that color and beauty and texture into the film. So let's talk about the music. First of all, the music is just phenomenal. Um, Absolutely loved it. Um, But the music comes from um, creative geniuses like John Legend, Philip Lawrence, and there are several other Afrobeats incorporated into into it. And so I'm wondering, like, from your thoughts and perspective, like, how is music integral to the story that you're trying to tell? um, And why was that also, like, an important part of it? Um, well, very important because, you know, it's a musical and at the same time, you want the songs to be an extension of the dialogue and push the story forward, which David is amazing at. And fortunately, with our background in theater, um, this is the first film where where he's been able to add in everything we've ever done in one film, which is just phenomenal and amazing in itself. So, um It was very important. Uh, When he met with Philip Lawrence, it was a song that he heard by him that our music supervisor gave to him, Julia Michaels. And instantly he just clicked with it. And so when he met Phil Lawrence, it was just like an immediate uh, connection. And um, Phil is such a, a, a great guy and so talented. You know, he co-wrote a lot of the hits with Bruno Mars. Um, he has a space of speaking, speaking from the emotion of things, but at the same time, making it catchy and pop-like, you mm-hmm. know. Um, John Legend did that amazing song, Make It Work, 
uh, for the film. And David specifically went over to his house and talked to him about what type of song he needed in the moment because he initially submitted a different song. And um, Dave was like, I love the song, but... I need something different. And most people like are yeah. <laughs> thing is like if John Legend gives you a song, you better take it, you know. Um, but he wanted to make sure that it fit the moment. And so Make It Work came out of him going over there and saying, this is what I need. It's the 11 o'clock hour. I need Jeronicus to make buddy work. I need them to make their relationship work. You know, this is what it is. And like instantly John was on the piano and he just started going. Um, with the make it work. And, and next thing you know, another layer comes through. He's got the full lyrics and then we're able to build off of that. Um, it's just, I, I, I love music and musicals and musical elements that are added. Um, even the scoring is gorgeous by John Debney. It's all of these things that I feel add to the emotion of things, be it funny, be it uh, heart-wrenching. Um, it, it's so important, you know, and then at the same time, you don't want to take people out of the film either by by something not fitting. So, it, the Afro beats. Oh, that's an amazing story. Also, um, Biza Kadi, who you hear his song in there, it's, the original song is called Asu. And that was like my wake up in the morning song, my get stuff done song, my cleaning song. It was my everything. And I always thought of it would be great to include something like this in the film. And when we did the snowball scene, that song was the song that we played. And as we started building the score out and different things once we got in post, we could not find anything quite like that, you know, or, and no one else was able to replicate it either. So I talked with my music supervisor and I said, can you get in touch with him? And can I just talk to him? And maybe he'd be okay with, you know, doing something, whatever. So she reached out and he's in Ghana and I was, you know, here in the States and we're on a Zoom call and I showed him the snowball scene and he was just like smiling from ear to ear. And he was like, I love it. You know, I said, I want your song in here, but we got to cut customize it for the film. And so he wrote special lyrics just for that. And so when you hear it, even though it's in English and French and in Twee, he he's saying in there, you know, come play with your granddaughter, see me grandfather, you know, it's been too long. So it, it was just like a special moment. And I see that other people are reacting the same way I was reacting, you know, being so excited about having something like that in there. Um, so that th these are elements that I feel are just layers of who we are. But and even though we see it all the time and we hear it and we know what it means, we've never seen it like this. Right. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Because I even just thought like the diversity of music and I think of our sound, like there are some gospel influences, yeah. R&B, obviously hip hop, Afro beats. So I love even just how thoughtful um, you guys, even in the music. So I love that story. Um, I was reading one of your husband's interviews and he actually talked about the Netflix um meeting and going in and being told to write his imagination and not the budget. And basically he said the lesson he took away with is don't ever write with a budget again, like go with your imagination, your first instinct. Um, and I was really struck by that because I think oftentimes African-Americans, we kind of limit our imagination to what's possible um, or what's realistic or what's practical. Um, and so I thought that was a an interesting kind of takeaway larger 
lesson. And I'm interested if you had any kind of larger lessons or thoughts that came out of this creative process into this movie that maybe you hadn't thought of before. Um, I did. I had many, actually, um, because this was, you know, this is a tough project, as you could see on the on the screen. It, it was really intense. Um, you know, I'm having to pack up my family for eight months, move to a foreign country, um, all of those things. And as much as I appreciated and loved, you know, being able to give experiences like that to my son and everything, it's still having to compartmentalize things and pull things together. You know, even though I'm a producer on set, you know, I'm still a mom and still a wife. And when things aren't right, if I get that call from school, you know, about a lunch ticket or, you know, he forgot his karate uh, suit or whatever, I got to handle that. You know, it doesn't matter. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Whitaker, I have to take care of something really quick. You know, <laughs> that, that doesn't matter. So um, it... It makes me to continue to appreciate the women in my life and the things that we all sacrifice when we have to multitask and and make things happen in spite of it all. Um, For me, you know, the song, The Square Root of Possible was like my mantra (laughs) throughout (laughs) doing the film. I I sung that song constantly. I, I... was finding my square root of possible in this um, because it this whole to be where we are now was a dream come true, you know, to be in this position, to have this opportunity. And at the same time, it was a huge responsibility because I knew that if we didn't get it right, it'd be another 20 years before someone else would get the chance or opportunity, you know, so to me, it was about I got to put in this time and give it my all. And David did the same. And we had an amazing dream team that did the same and, and rode with us to make this the best it could be. So I, I think that I learned a lot about myself along the way and um, resilience. And at the same time, you know, I, I had a few extra bis you know, English biscuits and, and tea <laughs> with sugar and cream. You know, I gained 35 pounds on set, but I didn't care because I'm pushing through and I'm pushing to make a dream reality, you know? So it was all worth it in the end, but I found that I, I found that there, I am the magic basically. I can, I can make things as we talk about, you know, black girl magic and all of those things that we need to motivate us and push us to get to the next level. I felt like I am that I'm going to touch this. I'm going to put my wand on this. This the best it can be. So it, when I look back, I'm, I'm reminded of, um, the help and support that I have, you know, I felt like my dad was looking over me and, and looking out for me as as I went through this journey. But at the same time, um, just just like really, really grateful.
a lot of our listeners are um, single women. And so um, we have a question for you about um, your husband and your relationship and your creative partnership. Um, so beyond working well together, um, listening to interviews that your husband um, has done, he's described you as the brains of the operation, um, which is really refreshing to hear because there's a lot of narratives that we get as single women that being too smart makes us um, less of a desirable partner. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like to work together? And, um, you know, any other encouragement you can have for young women who are the brains of the operation to feel, you know, <laughs> encouraged um, in that? Yes. Well, be that. Be the brains. And that, and that is okay. Um, and that's one thing, you know, you see even with Journey, I want to push that, that whole idea, that whole, you know, don't tell me, you know, it's too far to go. I know that I'm unstoppable. When she says to Edison, he's like, you want to be my apprentice? She's like, do you want to be mine? You know? <laughs> yes. Like, that you moment know, was everything. <laughs> yes. It's like all of those things. And, and even in her song, um, Not the Only One, when she's saying, you know, they expect me to go out and play, but I want to be inside and I want to make things. I want to invent things. So um, I, I, I look, it's difficult across the board sometimes when I believe men are trying to find their way. And um, it's tough for uh, for black men in general. You know, it, it is that old adage where. Uh, you have to try twice as hard. You have to do twice as much. You know, that's just what it is. And that's what, you know, my father, I grew up learning and understanding just by experiences that he had as well. And so it's to encourage, it's really important that we encourage each other um, to, to be the best we can be. And one doing more does not make the other one less. And that's the thing is that I feel that sometimes because women shine, men can sometimes feel that it makes it puts a shadow on them. But that's not what it is. If if I'm shining, the light is shining on you. How <laughs> big shadow yes. if I'm shining, right? Yeah. That can't be. That can't be. So the shine spreads. The shine spreads through all the family. And and that needs to be what it is. And and do we need to encourage our men a little bit more? Yes, we do. But we too need to be encouraged. Do we need do we need to play it up a little bit? Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as they say, the men can be the head, but we're the neck, right? <laughs> we turn it this way and this way. Yeah. So I, I think that be yourself. And if someone is not comfortable with who you are, then that's not the one for you. You know, you should not down your, you should not dumb yourself down to meet someone. You want to bring someone up. And if they want to be about being brought up, you're there. I feel like we're like ride or die type people. And so if you if you're gonna help me out, I'm gonna help you out. And when you need me, I'm gonna be there. When I need you, I need you there as well. So that's really all all it is. Um, he gets on my nerves sometimes, <laughs> like anybody else, and I'm sure I get on his. And <laughs> he, you know, but at the end of the day, we want the same things, and we're fighting for the same things. And as long as we're clear on that, we can easily get back to center. 
Yes, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so this film is such a gift, not just for black families, but for all families, because in a lot of ways, it's a universal story of faith, of love, of creativity, of forgiveness, of reconciliation. And I thought one of the big messages in the film was the importance of belief or faith um, in making Geronicus's inventions work. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role faith has played in your creative process? Yes. Um, it's, it's played a huge role. You know, um, I am a, a, a Christian woman and I, I believe in something bigger than myself. Um, I'd say I'm more of a spiritual person than a religious person. But even with, with that said, it's important to me to have that, that grounding, you know, of faith within what we do. And um, it's it's just helped us through, you know, a lot of things because I feel like you have to have something to believe in. You have to have something to rely on and that, that thing that you can't see that will help push you past um, barriers. Um, my husband grew up in in the church and, you know, generations of pastors and preachers in his church. So he can recite the Bible much better than I can. Um, I can do it if it was in a song, like, <laughs> six, like six, I can sing that whole song. And then when we get to that part of the Bible, I just start singing it in my head, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is very important. And that that has been what has gotten us through sometimes and grounded us and you kind of have to think about think about that but it also is having a work ethic it's also working hard you know not expecting things to come just because you pray for them it's it's the added that comes because you prayed it's the work that you have to put in to get it so mm -hmm. um it, it having that spiritual base uh i think is is important especially when you're in the arts because cre that creativity is just coming from somewhere yeah no i love that and i think you see that in the film that it is both faith and work like mm -hmm. dronicus is a genius um who works really hard but he he needs faith and yeah. he can't just have faith without works and vice versa so i i loved that i thought it was a good message for kids to see that it is both that you do Thank need something you. beyond yourself yep yeah, it's so incredible. And it just, it makes me excited to see this because I think of my niece and nephew and they get to see themselves yeah. in um, on TV. And I just think that just means so much. It just, it's so special. And I remember so much being younger and wanting to see myself more. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's why this film is just incredible. So thank you so much for joining us and for Jingle Jangle. It's incredible. Everybody go stream it on Netflix. Um, we're going to link all of the ways that you can follow Lynn on social media and check out the books, um, The Square Root of Possible, A Jingle Jangle Story, and Jingle Jangle, The Invention of Jeronicus Jangle at your local independent bookstore. Thank you again for being with us, Lynn. Thank you, guys. So guys, that was so fun. We're so thankful to Lynn for joining us today on Melanated Faith. We cannot record a special episode without also doing a special episode of Go Off Sis, which is your favorite segment on ours where we talk about something that we're loving, that we're blessing, and something that is a total mess and requires for Jesus Christ himself to come down and fix the situation. 
So, Faith, what do you want to go off with about today? Well, one thing I'm going to say that I am loving right now is the cold weather. I love being able to bundle up. I hate sweating. So the fact that it's cold outside right now is just a gift. It's like God is shining down on me and saying, look, babe, the cold weather welcomes you. And I am truly welcoming the cold weather back. Um, And what is a mess right now? I'm telling you, I haven't really been watching the news. But every time I see a report of a thing or two, I'm just like, is is this real? Are these, is this a real report? Is this the reality? I just, you know, I see all kind of crazy stuff. So anyways, most of the time I'm just uh, the news and what's going on in, in this country right now feels like a mess. But let me tell you, I am in my mind is in a, a Christmas state of mind. OK, so <laughs> it has been uh, free yes, of thinking about the drama going on. Right bless, now. bless the mind. Um, yeah, no, I totally feel you. I've been rewatching HBO's Veep, which if you haven't seen that TV show, you should totally watch it. Um, but it does feel like we are living through a season of Veep where <laughs> it's just a comedy of errors. And, you know, but, you know, they say truth is stranger than fiction. Um, so I'm going to go off. The thing that I want to bless is Gammy, who um, also, a.k.a. Um, Adrian Banfield Norris, Jada Pinkett Smith's mother. Um, there's an episode of Re- Red Table Talk up on T- uh, Facebook Watch right now where they're interviewing Olivia Jade, who was the daughter of Aunt Becky, caught up in the whole college admission scandal. Um, and basically... Um, Gammy is holding her accountable for her privilege, is explaining to her exactly what she did wrong. And I think there's like kind of like a little bit of a good cop, bad cop going on where um, Jada Pinkett Smith is very gracious and is like, yes, you deserve a second chance and these bad things happen to you. Um, But I think, can I encourage my less melanated sisters and brothers to watch this episode of Red Table Talk? Um, because I will say to Olivia Jade's credit, she takes everything that Gammy is telling her and acknowledges her privilege and commits to doing better. Um, so we can, that's, you know, I feel like that's a blessing. And shout out to Gammy for just being honest and telling her truth, even to her own daughter. Um, so that's my bless. Um, my mess. I think also would be what's going on in the world today. But I also am going to give kind of also to a, like a more lighthearted one. Um, this is for NBA fans, Houston Rockets fans. This might go over some of your heads. It's down down. Um, James Harden, you have to show up for work. Like you can't just be like, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm not coming. I recognize you're a millionaire and people very rarely take, tell you no, but uh Boo, they they paying you. And so <laughs> you can't just not show up for work. I understand we're in a pandemic. It is hard. Guys, remember we're in a pandemic. Don't eat indoors. Wear your mask. Socially distance. But also, James Harden, go to work, boo. Go to work. <laughs> I mean, this has just been a year. I, this has I been mean, a I, year. I am, I am sort of sympathetic. I mean, we've all worked a job we don't like. But also, we still had to go. <laughs> it's true. He getting paid real good, too. So he does need to go to work, you know, for real. Yeah. So, you know, that's my that's my mess. What's going on in the world? James Harden, go to work, please. Don't Just do that. Work. Don't do that new black man, 
your boss this way and have him out here looking crazy on his first couple days of work. We got to stick together. We do. Solidarity. We do have to stick together. We are so excited that we got to spend some time with you all. Um, Obviously, we've missed you and we love recording the podcast. So thanks for hanging out for this bonus episode. Um, We really hope that you watch the movie because it's so amazing. Your kids are going to love it. You're going to love it. I love it. Your niece and nephews will love it. Um, I feel like everybody will love it, even your grandma. So go watch it. And support Black writers and creators, directors, everything. The film's incredible. Um, So thanks again, Lynn, for joining us. So for those of you who are new to our podcast, we have a Patreon, which we're super excited because that helps us to continue our podcast and you support our work. So we have some really cool things that we're excited about doing um, this month over Christmas time as we prepare for season three, and it's only going to be over on Patreon. So join us. Any amount helps for you to support our work and the work of the podcast. Thanks, y'all.